It's 1 Kings chapter 11. Back where we were when we left off. Uh, quick catch you up. So as we know, King David has died. His son Solomon became king. Solomon built the, the temple. Uh, Solomon built a great house for himself. We see him, he became extremely wealthy, extremely powerful. He's known around the world as, you know, the smartest guy in the world, the man of great wisdom. But in a way, you can make a sense. It, you, you could, we will see tonight that Solomon could be equated as the greatest failure who ever lived. When you take a man who's been given so much by God and he fails so miserably, and it's just a sad picture for all of us to be warned by. Listen to one word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. We ask, Lord, now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit says to us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before we get to the outline, King Solomon is going to pull the third part of the trifecta of rebellion and sin. Because there's three things that were mentioned that kings were not to do. Number one, kings were not to multiply gold. We saw a couple weeks ago, a few weeks back, he had multiplied gold in Jerusalem until silver was like stones. He had so much gold that silver became as common as rocks. Kings are not to multiply chariots. It gives people the impression that their faith and their hope is in the military. The Bible says some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Amen. And so as a king, they were not to multiply chariots or military. They were not to multiply gold. And finally, they were not to multiply wives. And kings would fall into the trap of believing somehow they're special. Like the, the law doesn't apply to them because they have such power and such position. There's nothing new under the sun. Can I get an amen? And it's so, you know, that the, the rules are for common men, but somehow God gives them grace. Well, the Bible says God gives grace to the humble and resists the proud. And Solomon is going to be a tragic example of what can happen if any of us, if we place our fleshly desires above the word of God. Bible tells us the way of the transgressor is hard. We're going to see that tonight. If you have your outline, grab it. I've used this title a few times because it applies a few times in the Bible. I used it a while back with King David, and I'm going to use it again tonight. I titled the message, Take Heed Lest Ye Fall. But I'm going to give you six warning signs that you may be headed for a fall that we see in the life of Solomon. Six areas where we ought to be cautious ourselves that we can learn from Saul's failure. You know, the greatest, sometimes people have said the greatest teacher is experience, but it doesn't have to be our own experience. Sometimes we can learn from the failures and even the victories of others. Amen. And so take heed lest ye fall. Here's warning signs you're headed for a fall. When you allow your fleshly desires to take precedence over God's word and his commands. How many of you besides me battle with that from, can I get an amen to that? Where your own desires start to take precedence over the word of God and his commands. We're going to see that tonight with Solomon. When you cease to fear God, when you cease to fear God, the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And even though he was the wisest man in the world, when it came to, uh, you know, giving advice to others, he didn't ever had a lot of wisdom when it, when it dealt with his own life and he did not fear God. If he feared God, he wouldn't be living the way he was living. Number three, when the Lord brings righteous judgment upon us because of our behavior. Here's how we know when we're falling. Those who the Lord loves, he disciplines. 
And so when the Lord disciplines us, it's often because we're getting out of line. We're heading away from where the Lord has called us to live. We're not living the holy and set apart life that he's called us to live. And so because the Lord loves us, he will discipline us. And often his discipline is a forewarning of a much greater fall if we don't obey and if we don't allow that discipline to turn our hearts back to God. Number four, when our lives are more defined by compromise than obedience. Again, you've heard me say this many times, one more time won't hurt you. If we put any one of us on trial, myself included, if we, wa- if we walked around and videotaped you for the next two weeks, everything you said, everything you did, how you spent your time, and then we put you on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would they see someone reading the word, somebody getting on their knees and praying? Would they see someone sharing their faith? Would they see someone living a holy and set apart life? Not, not a sinless, we're not sinless, but we should sin less, amen? And it should be evident if you spend much time with someone who's walking with the Lord, it should be evident in their life. Our lives should be defined by obedience, not by compromise. When the Lord removes his blessing and calling upon our lives, you know, when, a, when you're headed for a fall, often one of the things that will happen is God will remove you from being used for his kingdom and his glory. We're going to see that happen in the life of Solomon tonight. And then finally, I wrote this down tonight. I've never, you know, uh, explained it this way, but it just hit home for me. When we define spiritual maturity by how much of God's word we know instead of how much of God's word we obey. Boy, that's an epidemic today. People who know the word, but they walk in disobedience to it. They'll even be arrogant. And there's, I've met people that, that I know the word a little bit. I've been a pastor 30 something years. I still have a lot, a lot of uh, growing to do. But the reality is that I'll meet people that I'll admit that I know the word better than I do. But that being said, their life doesn't reflect it. See, a lot of them are so arrogant and their whole life is how much of the word of God they can know and how they can show off their knowledge and how they can win arguments, but they don't live lives of obedience to the Lord. Spiritual maturity is not how much of God's word you know, but how much of God's word you obey. Can I get an amen to that? Now we need to know the word so we can obey it. Can I get an amen? And so the more of God's word we know, the more we can obey it, but knowing God's word is not enough. Knowing God's word, the, the demons believe and tremble. They, they, they know, does Satan know the word of God? Do false teachers know it? Do the, do the more, I mean, they take the word of God out of context, but that's why it's so important that we, we need to look at obedience. The Bible says to obey is better than sacrifice. Amen? So let's begin there in verse one. This is a gnarly chapter, guys. I'm just telling you. Uh, take ye lest ye fall. Warning signs you're headed for a fall when you allow your fleshly desires to take precedence over God's word and God's command. Here we go. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, and the Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn your hearts away after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. Solomon was a, a man like many men who had a woman problem. He had a problem with being faithful to one woman. And as we're going to see in the next verse, he has 700 wives. How long does it take to count to 700? And imagine if each one of those was a wife. And it's not that it's the wife. It could be 700 husbands. You're not supposed to have 700. That's insanity. 
And some people might think, oh, that'd be amazing. I'd love to have 700 wives taking care of me or, or 700 husbands out working hard for me. But the reality is you cannot love 700 women. You can't agape love 700 women because any love you give to another woman, you're taking away from the woman God gave you. Can I get an amen to that? And so we see that he has, he's got a major problem with lust. And his problem with lust is going to get him cast out. His problem with lust has caused him to elevate women above the Lord. And that's exactly what's happened in his life. Solomon had an eye for pretty and exotic women. We saw his first compromise in the area soon after he became king. It says there he married Pharaoh's daughter. In case anybody was confused, every once in a while people say, well, in the Old Testament, polygamy must have been okay because a lot of people did it. God makes it clear it's not okay. Amen? Because he says there at the rest of that verse, and by the way, he's an equal opportunity adulterer because he has women from the Moabites. Now, what were they supposed to do to the Moabites when they got in the land of promise? What's the answer? We'll destroy them. How about the Ammonites? How about the Edomites? How about the Sidonians, the Hittites? You know what? All the people that they were supposed to conquer, he was intermarrying with them. Now, this is an epidemic in the church today. The Bible says not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And the problem in the church is that we're elevating what the culture says over what the word of God says. And I'll have people say to me flat out, well, I know she's not saved, but I'm going to be with her anyway, and I just don't care. And I'm like, well, you need to look for another church then because you're not fellowshipping here if you're going to choose to walk in open rebellion like that. Can I get an amen? The reality is that we, we need to choose to obey God or the culture, to obey what our flesh wants or what the word of God commands. Can I get an amen? Now, does God give us commands because he's a no fun bummer God trying to keep us from fun? No, because he's a loving heavenly father wants to keep us from harm. Can I get an amen? And sometimes when maybe we've been waiting a long time for the right person, you know, a lot of times the enemy will bring the wrong person right before the right one gets there and you'll fall into it because you're lonely. And I get that. And if you're lonely and you desire to be married, I believe you will be if you wait upon the Lord, but you need to wait upon God's perfect timing. Here's what happens. One compromise leads to another. He married Pharaoh's daughter right off the jump. He was still a teenager probably when he married her and he made it a political thing. He was not supposed to marry pagan women and he marries her almost immediately after he becomes king. So as soon as you compromise once, it's easy to compromise the second time. And before you know it, you've got 700 wives because one compromise leads to another. He had given himself over to a reprobate mind. There was a complete loss of conviction over his sin. Guys, if we continue in a sin long enough, we'll cease to be convicted by it. Our hearts will be hardened toward it, toward it, and it will become a way of life. How hard has Solomon's heart become? He had ceased to take God's warning and commands seriously. God had warned people back in the time of, of Moses, back in Deuteronomy 7, says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, which you will possess, cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no 
covenant with them, nor show mercy to them, nor so you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter to your son. For you, they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. Is that pretty clear? He makes it so clear. And again, I'll hear Christians say, oh, well, polygamy, you know, it probably, you know, David did it, Solomon did it. I mean, Jacob, I mean, they all did it, so it must be okay. You know, we don't look at what men do for the pattern. We look at what God says. And even godly men and women, we would hope they could be an example, but we don't follow the example of men. We follow the Lord and his word. Amen. The reason people fall is because they follow men instead of following the Lord. God does not give us warnings without a reason. And he warns them because he knows the destruction it will bring. And I mean, Deuteronomy 7 verses 1 through 6 could have just been written directly to Solomon and to David to say, if you do this, destruction will come. If you do this, it's going to bring heartache and exactly what they did. You know, we are to love people. That's what our God, word of God commands us. It says in first John, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But the command to love is not about loving and accepting everything because I love you doesn't mean I have to agree with you. That's good for everybody in the room that is into politics. Can I get an amen to that? Because I love you does not mean I have to agree with you. As a matter of fact, we're commanded not to agree with the world. We're commanded to be different from the world. Again, it says in 1 John, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone love the, loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's a heavy statement. For believers, we need to be careful what, about what kind of love we have for non-believers in the depths of our relationship with them. We're to love them and encourage them to know the Lord. But we are not al to allow their lifestyles to influence us and make their lifestyles our own. It says Solomon clung to these in love. Josephus, if you don't know who he is, he's an historical writer. It's not scripture, but he's an historian who wrote from the time you know, the old, from the time of Jesus, but he wrote back about the Old Testament and he wrote this. He grew mad in love with women and laid no restraint on himself or his lusts. This is still a problem in the church today. I think one of the biggest reasons the lust is running rampant is the ability and the access to pornography or the access to sites where you can connect with other people you don't know just for a physical relationship. And you know what? You would think it wouldn't be evident in the church, but it is. And because the same man or woman who wouldn't go into a store and buy a magazine or wouldn't go to a strip club because they'd be seen by people, if it's on the privacy of their own phone, it's a problem. And if you've got that problem, get a flip phone. Can I get an amen? Just if you're right, I offend you, pluck it out. Amen. There needs to be, you know, don't, don't take sin lightly. So is this willful disobedience? Yes. Solomon, wisest man on earth, willfully disobeying God. He's been warned by God. We'll see in a moment. Twice, God appeared to him and spoke to him. The word of God commands that he not multiply wives. It commands that he not be unequally yoked. He's unequally yoked. He's multiplying wives, just like he multiplied chariots, just like he multiplied gold. He thought it didn't apply to him. He thought he'd get away with it. God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. 
and God is going to bring righteous judgment. So how has no fear of God or the consequences his sin will produce? Because here with no fear of God, it doesn't matter. You don't, you don't worry about what could happen. Should have learned from the consequences of his own parents. Who were his parents? David and Bathsheba. Did they have a problem? David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then killed Bathsheba's husband to cover up his adultery. Those are Solomon's parents. Now here's the hard lesson. We as parents can either leave a good example or a bad example for our children. Can I get an amen to that? We can either be an example that they can follow or an example that they're going to want to flee from. And as believers, look, our kids will make their own choices. But the reality is very often they're going to follow in the path of their parents and grandparents and the people around them that are their examples. Amen. It's very often when you have a husband and wife that are divorced that their children are divorced. I know a family where two of the daughters will not get married or have nothing to do with it, refuse because both their parents have been married three times. And they're like, I'm out. I'm not even doing it. I've seen it. It doesn't work. It's a disaster. And it's so sad because they judge marriage based on someone who did it wrong instead of a godly marriage. Amen. And so Solomon, in a sense, did follow his father's example, but he multiplied it hundreds of times over. We don't know how many wives David had, but it might have been a dozen. It wasn't a thousand. It wasn't 700 wives and 300 concubines. How do you even keep track of a thousand? How do you keep track of a thousand? He allowed lust and the pursuit of power to rule his life. Now, let me make it clear. No man can love a thousand women. Eros and agape are two different words. Eros is a relationship where what can you do for me? And you can have a thousand husbands or a thousand wives that if they're just there to to do things for you, then I guess you probably could have a thousand, but that's not agape. Agape is loving someone outside of yourself more than yourself. And when you have more than one person that you've devoted your life to, you are outside of God's will. Amen. And you cannot agape more than one person. Now you can have an agape love for all people, but I'm talking about a spouse. And I want to tell you something. I tell men this often. It's true for women as well, but I, mainly for men, I say, if you want to know how you're doing spiritually, look at your wife. If your wife's life is a mess, I'm holding you accountable for some of that. Can I get an amen to that? Now I'm not saying that people can't just go sideways, but the truth is, especially with men, we are called to be the spiritual leaders and set the example in our household. Saul chose a very superficial relationship with a thousand women, looking at women with lustful eyes. And again, what can you do for me, lust? You cannot love one woman deeply and selflessly while lusting after many women at the same time. And again, this is why pornography doesn't work. This is why pornography is a problem. Because pornography is lusting after somebody you've never met, just taking from them. That's somebody's daughter, by the way. Just remember that. You're taking something from them. And when you do that, You're devaluing the marriage that you have to your husband or your wife. Amen. And Solomon is such a mess that he's got a thousand women and you wouldn't even know who his real wife is in the end. And again, it spoke. Now, another reason why they loved to multiply wives as kings, it showed how wealthy they were. Having one wife's expensive. 
having 10 would be really expensive. Having a thousand, you had to get those credit card bills, but can you imagine a thousand women, right? But it was also a sign to others of how powerful you were and how wealthy you were. God gives grace to the humble and resists the proud. Solomon, this man of wisdom, has lost his way. Notice what it says there at the, uh, at the end of verse, look at verse three. He had 700 wives and princesses and 300 concubines and his wives, wives turned away his heart. Well, we knew that was coming because God had said, do not intermarry your sons with their daughters because their daughters will turn the hearts of your sons away from God. It was in Deuteronomy. It's, it's throughout scripture. And then we're surprised even today when somebody gets married to an unbeliever and then their walk with the Lord falls apart or they're coming to church by themselves or it's a mess. And so we see Solomon's example. Each wife brought their gods into the marriage. When he married a, a Moabite, they brought their gods. She brought her gods. When married a Hittite, brought her gods. Married an Egyptian, brought all their idols. So they're bringing all their false gods into the marriage. And Solomon may have thought, well, I can be with these women and still serve God. And maybe for a time he did. And that's the same uh, logic that some people use today. Well, I can date this unsaved girl because, well, she's pretty and I love hanging out with her. And I know she doesn't know the Lord. No missionary dating, by the way. Can I get an amen to that? You don't date people and hope you're going to bring them to church and get them saved. You want to date somebody, court somebody who loves Jesus as much or more than you do. Can I get an amen? amen. And do not settle for anything less. There's far worse things than being alone, being married to the wrong person. Amen. While the word of God commands that we are not to be an equal yoke with unbelievers so that our relationship with our spouse does not draw us away from the Lord or weaken our relationship with the Lord, but strengthens our relationship with the Lord as we worship him together. Amen. That's why it's important that we come and we worship together, that we pray together. That, you know, we have that model and that example. Our children are watching and they're going to follow the example that's set before him. Solomon knew the Lord and he knew the word, yet these women, women pulled him down. He did not pull them up. It's always easier to be pulled down. I've shared this illustration before. I can't remember how old I was. I was pretty young, maybe 10, 11 years old. And my mom was explaining this to me. And she said, son, if you hang out with people, who are doing bad things, people who don't know God and are, you know, you know, not honoring the Lord. Let me show you what's going to happen. And my mom was tiny. My mom is tiny. She's five, three and a hundred pounds. So she had me stand up on this chair and she said, pull me up, son. And I, there's no way. And she grabbed me like that. And I fell off the chair. She said, son, it's so much easier to get pulled down by the world than for you to try to pull somebody up. And again, we want to witness to people. It's the Lord that pulls them up, not us. Can I get an amen? But at the same time, we need to recognize you will become like the people you hang out with. And if you're hanging out with the world, you're going to become like the world. So 700 wives, we see there, his wives were all princesses. Now, he could have justified in his mind, they all came from royalty. So all these were arranged marriages that... You know, kind of brought peace treaties with other nations that would make him think, well, this expands our strength. It expands how many nations. I got 700 wives and, and they're all, their, all their nations won't fight us. We'll see how that works out. It's not going to work out that way. 
Does God know better than us? What's the answer? Don't use the wisdom of men. Use the wisdom of God. And again, I imagine some guys think a thousand wives, that'd be great. Uh, A very bitter Solomon wrote this at the end of his life. Ecclesiastes 9. Live happy, happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of life that God has given you under the sun. He says, woman, not women. At the end of his life, he's recognizing a thousand wives, not so good. He said, the wife God gives you is your reward for your earthly toil. I love that he gets it in the end because I want to tell you something. Uh, Pastor Joshua and I were just talking about this before the message. When you get to the end of this chapter, you're going to wonder if Solomon's saved. You're going to go, really? How could he do this stuff? But how could some guy who wrote a good part of the book of Proverbs, the Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes, they're in the Bible. He wrote, there's words in the Bible. God used him to write things in the Bible. But when you read what he does the rest of the chapter and how quickly we can fall away, it's pretty scary. Look at verse four. For so it was when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. Solomon was walking with the Lord early on, but over time, the women wore him down. And I'm not blaming the women, I'm blaming him. They're acting, you know, we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God, amen. But over time, they wore him down. And before you knew it, we're gonna see that he starts worshiping the other gods. And we're gonna see how tragic it happens. His heart was not loyal to the Lord. If you give an unbeliever enough time in your life and you are, do not see them saved, they will have a greater impact on you most often than you will have on them. I think of a man who was in our church in Santa Cruz. He was one of the most on fire Christian men I've ever met in my life. He was one of our greeters. Um, he taught in our men's study. He was real involved in our church. Just, and for, I mean, for decades, for in Calvary San Jose. And he met this woman. It was kind of a friend. You know, she said she was a Christian, but I struggled with it. But I, you know, they courted for a long time. She was going to our church every Sunday and they got married. As soon as they got married, she wanted nothing to do with the Lord. Fast forward three years. He hasn't been in church in a decade. He's walked completely away from the Lord. And again, he's accountable for that. But I guarantee you the hugest impact on that is his relationship with his unsaved wife. His heart was not loyal to the Lord because he chose lustful desires and pagan women over God. Far too many times, again, I've heard that same office, often righteous indignation. I know what the interpretation of the word is. I know how you think about it, but it's 2021, man, lighten up. We can get married wherever we want to. I can do whatever I want. God's going to be okay with it. Uh, No, he's not. God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We don't change the word. We don't add to the word. Rebellion or fellowship, choose one. God's word is right every single time. His heart was not loyal to the Lord. Was David perfect? No. But the difference between David and his son is David never walked away from the Lord. He knew he was wrong. He did sinful things, but he repented. The difference between David and and Saul is Saul didn't repent and David did. 
On his deathbed, David had warned Solomon, I go the way of all the earth, be strong therefore and prove yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments, his judgments and his testimonies as is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. And then in his old age, Solomon would write, don't let your excitement of your youth cause you to forget your creator, honor him in your youth before you grow old and say life is not pleasant anymore. Sometimes young people think I'm going to go on party while I'm young. And then when I'm older, I'll serve God. And the reality is that's you're wasting your life, even spending one day dishonoring the Lord it says in verse the rest of that verse, his heart was not loyal to the Lord, his God, as was his father, David. Again, he was not like, now watch. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians. Ashtaroth was the goddess of sex. Surprise, surprise. Solomon with a thousand women. And Ashtaroth, part of the worship for, to, with Ashtaroth was sexual immorality was a part of their way of worshiping. Well, that would be real popular with uh, people who like pornography and things like that. The goddess of sex worshipped includes sexual immorality. Uh, Milcom just refers to as an abomination in the sight of God. One of the other gods that he began to worship, the uh, Milcom of the uh, Ammonites. Solomon did evil in sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father, David. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. I thought this was the wisest man on the planet. I thought this was the man that the queen of Sheba traveled for months to get his wisdom. I thought this was the man that everybody came to because he was so wise. He is that man. And he did show wisdom in giving counsel to others. But his own life, he's doing evil in the sight of the Lord. By the way, if you're doing evil in the sight of the Lord, it's not good. Amen? It's not good. By the way, it starts off with him doing evil in the sight of the Lord. I don't think that's by chance. You know what that means? He's doing evil where the Lord sees it first. You know who always knows when you're sinning? The Lord does. Amen? You can hide it from men. You can hide it from your spouse. You can hide it from other people. God knows the truth. But God always sees and knows when we disobey and rebel against him. As is so often the case, the sin Solomon does in secret sears over his conscience, and now he's going to participate in it openly. Look at verse 7. Now, this is the crazy part. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemesh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. He built a high place. Now, that could have either been an altar it could have been, you know, a place of sacrifice. It could have been a small temple. But it says, notice what it says, or don't miss this. On the hill east of Jerusalem, let me tell you where that is. If you've never been to Israel, Mount Moriah is at the high point of Jerusalem. It's there that the temple was built. When you come out the eastern gate and you go down, there's a, it's a ravine. It's called the Valley of Kidron but it's really like a ravine and it goes down. And as soon as it gets to the bottom, it goes straight back up. And when you come to the other side, you're on the Mount of Olives where the garden of Gethsemane is where Jesus prayed, not my will, but thy will be done. And you cannot stand anywhere on the temple grounds and look out and not see every square inch of the Mount of Olives. It's right there. So the guy who built the temple 
who spent years building the temple for the Lord, this magnificent temple, he has now got altars for all, the, all of his wives, gods. Hundreds of altars, no doubt. We know many altars. And you can see the incense going up and the worship to these false gods. And it's in eyesight of where the true and living God is being worshiped. And the guy who built the temple for the Lord builds these altars to these pagan false gods. What in the world happened to you, Solomon? And you know what Solomon needed? A godly friend who loved him enough to slap him. Can I get an amen? Someone to show up, dude, what are you doing? What in the world? You know who he needs? He needs Nathan to show up right about now. Can I get an amen? He needs a prophet to show up and say, Solomon, what is wrong with you? See, here's the problem with authority and power. Sometimes you're in a position where people are afraid to call you out. If Nathan had been around, he would have. So here's Solomon and he's building altars to pagan gods. Now, Molech is a God who they sacrificed babies to. They would heat up the arms of Molech. It was made out of a a metal and they would hold the arms and they would take these newborn babies and set them on Molech's arms and they would fry to death and scream. And he built an altar to Molech. The same guy that built the altar, built a temple for God. Now, we might say burning babies alive, how horrific. We do it every day. We call it abortion. Can I get an amen? We put, they put stuff in a woman's womb and it burns the baby alive. Guys, and you know what it is? When sex is rampant, it becomes a form of birth control. And when these people are all having all these gods where sex is part of their worship, there's a bunch of unwanted pregnancies. So they just take the babies and burn them alive and give them to Molech. I'll tell you what, our God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. Amen. We've killed more babies in California than the population of Canada. That's tragic. Can I get an amen? That is tragic. But so, by the way, Shemesh, um, one of his names... He's known for being a cruel, sexually immoral God. He doesn't exist, but the, the people that worship him, the Moabite God, his name is Baal, Baalzebub. Baalzebub, like Baalzebub, right? Like this name for Satan. They don't even hide it anymore, right? It's just so, it's so tragic. So here on that hill east of Jerusalem, there on the Mount of Olives, there where Jesus would cry out, not my will, but thy will be done. On that very spot, the Garden of Gethsemane, where he sweat great, great drops of blood, the place where, the place where they would come and arrest him. And here they are with altars to these false gods, burning incense, no doubt, all day, every day. So tragic. How far from God had he come doing evil in the sight of the Lord, more influenced by his pagan wives and the false gods they serve than the true and living God. The Bible tells us where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Guys, our false gods don't have to be idols. It can be our career. It can be money. It can be the pursuit of pleasure. It can be a hobby. It can be an ungodly relationship. It can even be our children if we put them above the Lord. Verse eight. And he did likewise for all of his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So every 
one of those 700 foreign women, he built an altar to their gods. I can't even imagine you could see anything but fires burning on the Mount of Olives. So tragic. Solomon, who was raised by David, a man after God's own heart, who God had spoken to twice, who God gave wisdom greater than any man, who gave him victory over his enemies, who blessed him with great wealth and power. Sadly, many lose sight of the source of God's blessings and begin to think of themselves more highly than they ought to. See, sometimes when you're successful in the world's eyes, you start to think it's you. Let me clue you in. Any success you have belong to God be all the glory. Any success, any wisdom, any education, any ability, any job, any gifting, any calling, it all the glory and honor belongs to the Lord. Amen. He gave it to us. He gets the glory. And you know what? The king, he's been a king now almost 40 years. When he was first a king, he was humble enough. He knew his dad was leaving. He didn't know how he would rule. He was desperate for God, but over time became dependent upon himself. He let his power, his wealth, and his position go to his head. His conscience was seared over, and he's doing nothing less than shake his fist at God. He's building altars to false gods in the sight of the temple. Tragic. So point number one, take heed lest you fall. Warning signs, you're headed for a fall when you allow your fleshly desires to take precedence over God's word and his commands. No doubt there's people in the room tonight that you've got fleshly desires you're putting in front of the Lord. I want to encourage you, it's time to repent. Amen? If Solomon could mess up his life like this, how the wisest man who ever lived, couldn't we do the same? Amen? We can. Point number two, when you cease to fear the Lord, look at verse nine. So the Lord became angry with Solomon. I guess so. You know, again, God suffers long. Did you know that God gets angry? God gets angry. Do you know those things God hates? In the Bible, it talks about it. He hates adultery, he hates fornication, he hates a lying tongue, he hates drunkenness. Go down the list. God hates it. He hates it. And we're, as his followers, our hearts should be to not cause him to be angry. It says he's angry because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. So, how does God feel when his people turn away from him and choose to rebel? He's angry. If you're walking in open rebellion against God, He doesn't feel sorry for you. He's angry with you. Can I get an amen? He doesn't, he doesn't have, you know, hey, he's a loving God. He's a gracious God, but he's a holy God. Amen. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And the Solomon man, once of great wisdom, has no fear of God or the consequences it will bring. Says there, who had appeared to him twice. So he has no excuse. Almighty God through dreams and visions, had spoken to him clearly and directly twice. And he had warned him of the very things he is now doing. And God doesn't waste his warnings. If you're feeling a conviction about something you're doing, that's God's discipline. Amen. And conviction is a good thing. It draws us back to the Lord. So if there's an area of your life where you're feeling convicted, it's time to surrender that to God. Because if you continue on that direction, I promise you the consequences are going to get heavier and your sin will surely find you out. And the anger of God will bring the righteous discipline of God. Amen. And that's exactly where Solomon is headed. 
God appeared to Solomon in a dream while he was in Gibeon. And it was there that Solomon asked for wisdom. But the Lord finished that interaction by saying, so if you walk in my ways and you keep my statutes and my commandments as your father walked, then I will lengthen your days. We're going to see that Solomon's days are cut short. God appeared to Solomon a second time in 1 Kings uh, chapter 9. He says, now if you walk before me as your father David walked in integrity of heart and uprightness and do according to all that I've commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish your throne of your kingdom over Israel forever as I promised David your father, saying you shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But if you or your sons at all turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Is this pretty specific? If you go and worship other gods and worship them, then I will cut you off from Israel from the land which I've given you. We're going to see that happen tonight. Tonight's chapter, we're going to see the kingdom being ripped from Solomon's hands in the hands of his descendants. God had given him clear commands, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded him to do. So much of the church does the same today, using the culture as the standard for behavior rather than God's word. Excuses to be unequally yoked, love of money, fornication, adultery, pornography, drunkenness, drug use, gossip, foul language, ungodly entertainment language. By using the culture and the sinful world and the influence of ungodly friends. I want to say this. I'm not, a very, I'm, not, I'm not as political as many of you. We vote, and we vote biblical. Can I get an amen to that? I was nauseated watching a, a, somebody who's been married four or five times, and now it's shocking up with some guy singing God Bless America. God bless America, really? If you want God to bless America, how about you get on your knees and honor God? Can I get an amen to that? It's, it's nauseating to see the total hypocrisy. Now, that's someone who doesn't know God and we should pray for her. Can I get an amen? But Christians who say we do know God will fall into the trap of, put, of being hypocrites by putting other things before God. Have no, first two commandments, no other God before me and no graven image, Amen. And here we have King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. Let me just say this about the Bible. Open it, read it, and obey it. Open it, read it, and obey it. Amen? Verse 11. Or verse 10, excuse me. He was angry, appeared to him twice, and he commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. And again, we live in a time now where disobeying God's not a big deal, even in the church. It's not a big deal. Well, we fell out of love, so we got divorced. First of all, you don't fall out of love. Love's a choice. It's not an emotion. Get over it. Can I get an amen to that? Love is a choice. And I feel, I don't care how you feel. It's irrelevant. What does God's word say? Do your feelings lie to you sometimes? Do they lie to you? What's the answer? They do. God's word, God's word, God's word. When you, stand, when you get married, you make a vow before the creator of the universe. Can I get an amen to that? And it's a vow. It's not, a, I'll do my best. It's a promise for a lifetime that's unbreakable. What God has joined together, let no man separate. Amen? And yet we see in this world today so much compromise in marriage, so much compromise in relationships. Christians sleeping together before they're married. You may now kiss the bride because you shouldn't have been doing a lot more than that beforehand. Can I get an amen? 
Not to, not to fall into lust. We're not to do those kinds of things. We're called to be different than the world. He did not keep what the Lord commanded. Verse 11 through 13. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, because you've done this and not kept my covenant and my statutes, what I've commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father, David. I will tear it out of your hand out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear it away, the whole kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant, David, for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Because David, even though David was a flawed man, how many flawed men and women we got in the room? Raise your hand. Okay, we're flawed. Okay, we're sinners saved by grace. But the difference is, again, David repented. David's sins were numerous, but David repented. Isn't it good to know that when we repent, he separates our sin as far as the east is from the west? Says he chooses to remember it no more. God can't forget, but he can choose not to remember. Can I get an amen? And he chooses not to remember. And so even though David had committed adultery and it had heavy consequences, David committed murder. It had heavy consequences, the death of the son that came from the adultery. There was a lot of heavy consequences that came from David's actions. But David was a man after God's own heart because David repented. If you're here tonight and you're, or you're watching on live stream or you're watching a week or a month from now and you're li- you've got something in your life that's an active disobedience. Don't be like Solomon and harden your heart. Be like David and repent. And notice that even though David has gone to heaven, God is going to bless Jerusalem and the line of, uh, of David for the sake of, of David. He said, not because of what you've done, Solomon, because of what David did. Now, it's pretty important that that line continue. Who's coming in the line? Jesus. And that's why it could never be fully taken away. But we're going to see of the 12 tribes, 10 are going to be removed and given to somebody else because this man was not faithful. See, if you have a gift, if God has called you and gifted you to do something, and you disobey God, you don't walk in the fear of the Lord, I promise you, he will remove that from you and give it to somebody else. Amen? You know of any pastors that were in ministries and now they've been completely disqualified and they're gone? And those are the public ones, but it happens all over the place. Amen? And this is a warning. Solomon's actions lack repentance, would bring about righteous judgment, and the kingdom would be torn from his lineage. We'll see who it is in just a few minutes. God would show grace because of David and not tear the kingdom completely away. So point number two, warning signs you're headed for a fall when you cease to fear God. Solomon does not fear God. Solomon's burning all 700, he's got 700 altars right across from the temple, worshiping false gods. And in all of it, he's not repenting. He has hardened his heart toward God. Point number three, when the Lord brings righteous judgment upon us because of our behavior. Now the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon. Hadad the Edomite, who was a descendant of the king of Edom. Edomites are descendants of Esau, Jacob and Esau. Esau, the son of the flesh, Jacob, the son of the spirit. Jacob became Israel. All the, all the children of Israel are descendants from Jacob. Esau is the Edomites. The Edomites were, should have been destroyed. We're going to see as we go through the text that they had actually fought the Edomites earlier and gone in Joab and David's army and killed all the the adult men. Hadad is a prince. 
He's uh, the king's son, and he was probably a very small child. We're going to see in a moment they escaped to Egypt. 40 years have gone by, and the children that escaped when all their parents, all their fathers were killed, are now old enough to be seeking vengeance. And isn't it interesting that when Solomon was obeying God, he had no enemies. And as soon as he disobeys God, God raises up enemies. God had given him victory. He had not lost a battle. We don't see Solomon losing any. We don't see him entering battles, really. David wiped out all the enemies. Solomon just walked into a peaceful, and now he's blown it. And now the battles begin. See, guys, when we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. But when we walk in rebellion against God, I promise you, now, not every time that judgment comes against us or, or we go through difficulty is it because of our sinful behavior, but sometimes it is. Amen? Sometimes if we disobey God, the way of the transgressor, again, is very hard. Lord's going to bring adversaries against Solomon, consequences of his sin. It's an opportunity, I believe, for him to be humble. Because see, there was no roadblocks. He was doing everything he wanted to do and, and nothing was getting in the way. And God's going to allow for some adversity in his life to hopefully drive him to his knees. Sadly, that's not what's going to happen. Are you struggling as much as I am with Solomon through these chapters? Verses? I'm reading this going, this guy's in heaven? He, I'm sure he probably is, but this is scary. I, would you want this for your resume, standing before God on Judgment Day? Built altars to 700 other gods? Yeah, after I built the temple. Matter of fact, I put them right in eyesight. There were so many of them lit up, you could barely see the temple. I mean, the smoke covered the temple. Boy, I wouldn't want that on my resume before God, right? He says, therefore, it happened when David was in Edom and Joab, the commander of the army, had gone up to bury the slain after he had killed every male in Edom. Because for six months, Joab remained there with all Israel until he cut down every male in Edom. They used to talk about pushing them back 40 years by wiping out all the adults. And that's exactly what happened. The Edomites became decimated where for 40 years they were non-existent. It says, Hadad fled to Egypt. He and certain Edomites of his father's servants with him. Hadad was still a little child. And they arose from Midian, came to Paran, took uh, men with them from Paran and came to Egypt to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who gave him a house, a portion food for him and gave him land. Now, what's crazy about the Pharaoh in Egypt, the Pharaoh in Egypt is going to give a wife, his sister-in-law to Hadad. And David's or uh, Solomon's first wife was Pharaoh's daughter. So how's that whole uh, marrying into other kingdoms working out for them not bringing anything against you. It's not working. See, when we try to be smarter than God, well, if I marry somebody rich, then I can give more money. She's rich. He's rich and unsaved, but maybe he'll tithe. <laughs> I'm going to cheat on my taxes so I can give more. You know, this mentality, it's wrong. We, we honor God. We obey God. Well, he, he had disobeyed God. And you see, Pharaoh, he didn't seem to, he's not even taking sides. He's got people on both sides. He doesn't care because he doesn't know God. He's a godless pagan idolater. Amen. It says there, 
And Hadad found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh, so they gave him as, him as wife the sister of his own wife. That is the sister of Queen Tophanes. And then the sister of Tophanes bore him, Genabath, the son, who Tophanes weaned in Pharaoh's house, and Genabath was in Pharaoh's household among the sons of Pharaoh. So when Hadad heard in Egypt that David rested with his fathers, and Joab, the commander of the army, was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, let me depart that I may go down to my own country. And Pharaoh said to him, but what have you lacked with me, that suddenly you seek to go to your own country? And he said, nothing, but let me go anyway. Why does Hadad want to go back? To get David, David Solomon, to get David's descendants. Because David's dead and Joab's dead. Doesn't that say something about Solomon? If David and Joab were still there, he'd go, yeah, I'm not messing with those guys. Those guys are mighty warriors. Many people have said Solomon is a, we have no record of Solomon ever fighting anybody. We We have no record of Solomon ever going into battle. All we have Solomon doing is building stuff for himself, making a name for himself, and and collecting women. That's Solomon. Is any part of that godly? David was a man who fought on the front line. David was a man who, you know, we, we see in the beginning of his life, he's out there, you know, with sheep and singing praise songs. He writes a lot of the Psalms. He's got praise songs to the Lord. He fought Goliath when nobody else would as a teenager. Do we see Solomon's fought nobody? And you know what? Even Hadad's like, dude, Joab's dead and David's dead. Solomon's in charge. <laughs> Let's go get him. No fear of that guy. And here's the reality. I think Satan looks at us that way sometimes. Can I get an amen to that? Somebody's on his knees all the time. You know, maybe we'll let that guy go. You know what? You know, by the way, you pray Satan flees. Can I get an amen? Resist the devil. What does he do? Flees from you. And you know what? Satan's going to go after those who are used mildly by the Lord. But again, there are people that are a lot softer targets than those who are humble and broken and desperate before God. So, hey, dad, we see here again, is going to come back. And it says, so point number three, when the Lord brings righteous judgment upon us because of our behavior, he is going to allow. Now, that's just the first enemy he's going to mention. There's more coming. There's two more. And he's going to rise up enemies against the king of Israel because the king of Israel has turned his back on the God of Israel. We cannot live lives of open rebellion against God and expect God to bless us. Can I get an amen to that? Rebellion? or fellowship, choose one. Amen? Because you can't have both. If you're in rebellion, the good news is you can repent. If you're in rebellion, you can get on your knees and ask God to forgive you and get right with the Lord. And sadly, God is going to bring judgment upon the man that was supposed, again, was supposed to be his man being used mightily by the Lord, the one that he gave the wisdom to, the one that he appeared to twice. Now notice what happens here in verse 23 to 25. When our lives are defined by compromise rather than obedience. Here's how we know we're headed for a fall. When our lives are defined by compromise and not by obedience. Look at verse 23. And then God raised up another adversary against him. Razon, the son of Eliada, who had fled from his Lord, had a dazer, king of Zobia, of Zoba. So he gathered men to him and became captain over a band of raiders when David killed those of Zobah. They went to Damascus and dwelt there and reigned in Damascus. He was an adversary of Israel all the days of Solomon besides what 
that uh, Hadad caused, he abhorred Israel and reigned over Syria. Because Solomon has ceased to be desperate for God, ceased to walk in the fear of God. He has enemies coming in and taking pieces of the land away. Damascus had been taken by, conquered by David. It's now being taken away. We're going to see that Hadad goes back to the land of the Edomites and he's going to establish himself there again. So the land God had given him is getting smaller and smaller and smaller because of his disobedience. And so too, the way God uses us, the blood, and again, I'm not talking about physical blessings like stuff, but the blessings God's placed upon our lives, those are things that we can lose and the opportunity and the gifting to, to minister to others as we walk in disobedience to the Lord, we become yes, less usable by God. Amen. And again, repentance can restore that. Josephus says, Hadad, by Pharaoh's permission, came to Edom, and when he was not able to make the people forsake Solomon, first kept under by, by he was you know kept under by many garrisons, and innovation was not to be made with safety. He couldn't really reach him. He removed himself and came to Syria. Then he lighted upon a man by the name of Rezin, who had run away from Hadadezer, king of Zobah, his master, and become a robber in the country and joined friendship with him, who had already a band of robbers about him. So they went up and seized upon the part of Syria um, and was made king. So he took a part of the land that had belonged, that Israel had conquered, he made himself king. He also made incursions into the land of Israel, and did no small mischief and spoiled it that in the lifetime of Solomon that he brought calamity upon the Hebrews again who had suffered by the hand of Hadad. So these guys joined together and they're attacking Solomon. And Solomon doesn't know how to fight anybody. And now Solomon doesn't have the Lord on his side. And now the consequences are growing. David had conquered again both Edom and Damascus, but Solomon's sin and rebellion and lack of desperation for God and faithfulness to his word, he is now losing the land that had once been conquered. Again, rebellion or fellowship, choose one. Point number five, when the Lord removes his blessing and calling from upon our lives. Look at verse 26. Then Solomon's servant, Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, an Ephraimite from Zerida whose mother was named Zurah, a widow also rebelled against the king. And this is what caused him to rebel against the king. Solomon had built the Milo and repaired the damages in the city of David, his father. Then the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing that the young man was industrious, he made him officer over all the labor force of the house of Joseph. So the rebuilding the Milo, the and, and it's a, like a fortress, a small fortress. Uh, it's, like, it's like a way to see when the enemy's coming. They're restoring that. And he becomes such a great worker that he's elevated. By the way, that's a biblical principle. Work hard. Man will toil by the sweat of his brow all the days of his life. Can I get an amen? And people that work hard and are industrious, people are looking to promote those people. Can I get an amen to that? And so he gets promoted because he's working hard. What Solomon doesn't understand, he's promoting the guy that's going to take his kingdom. The guy that's going to take his place. Because he is a hardworking man and he's being faithful. Now what happened at the time, verse 29, when Jeroboam went up to, out to Jerusalem, that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, met him on the way 
And he had clothed himself with a new garment and the two were alone in the field. So Jeroboam, this hardworking guy, he goes out and most people, they had one set of clothing. He had went out and bought himself a new suit of clothing, like an overcoat that might go under the garments underneath. And he runs into the prophet out in the field. This prophet needs to go visit Solomon, by the way. But the prophet is there and watch what happens. This seems crazy when you first read it. Ahijah took a hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into 12 pieces. Now, if you, if you, someone took your wardrobe, cut it into 12 pieces and threw it back at you, how would you be feeling right about then? Now, the good news is it's going to be worth it when he gets the interpretation. But at first, it's like sometimes God's doing stuff we don't get initially. Amen. We wait upon the Lord. I don't understand why God's allowing this to happen. God knows what he's doing. We need to learn to trust him. Then it says there, verse 31, and he said to Jeroboam, take for yourself 10 pieces for less says the Lord God of Israel. Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give 10 tribes to you. Now that's pretty good trade. You're going to get 10 tribes of Israel that you're going to rule over. Cost you a coat. It's pretty good trade. Now, when it first happened, he didn't understand but, uh, you know, you see this in scripture. This happened with King Saul. Do you remember when King Saul, you know, was, he was holding on to the prophet, right? Remember? And when he, you know, when he, when the prophet turned Samuel, when he turns away from him, it says, you know, it was, it, it was torn. He said, just as it's been torn, so the kingdom's been torn from you. So this is the first time we've seen this happen. So he tears it into pieces and lets him know that he's going to inherit 10 of the tribes. It says there, in verse 32, but he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant, David, and for the sake of Jerusalem in the city, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because they have forsaken me and worshiped Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Shemash, the goddess of the Moabites, Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes and kept my statutes and judgments as did his father, David. Does God know when you are disobeying him? What's the answer? When God, does God know when you're walking in open rebellion? What's the answer? And how does God feel about it? What's the word? What's the word? He's angry. He's a holy God. He's a loving God, a gracious God, a merciful God, but he's also a righteous God. And he has righteous anger. And Solomon lost the kingdom, all but one tribe. It's actually going to be two because of Judah, but because of the, he turned from the Lord and started following false gods. Let me tell you right now, if you choose anything over the Lord, you will regret it. Can I get an amen? If you choose anything over the Lord, sin is pleasurable for a season, but in the end it leads to death. It always looks, you know, sometimes people will be in open rebellion. They'll come and say, I'm doing it anyway. And they'll come back six months later. See, nothing's happened yet. I'm good. God doesn't care. And then a year later, I'm talking to him. Oh, God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. Let's finish up. Look at verse 34. However, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand because I've made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my servant, David, who I chose because he kept my commandments and my statutes. Solomon is being blessed because of David and in spite of himself. What a powerful picture that is because of, of the actions of his father is being blessed, not because of his own, but I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and give to you 10 tribes and to his son. I will give one tribe that my servant, David might always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city, which I have chosen for myself to put my name there. 
Think about what Solomon missed out on. Think about all that Solomon could have had. Solomon was the wisest man, but his wisdom did not extend to himself. And now the man who built the temple, God's angry with him. Now the man who had, had espoused wisdom where people were coming from all over the world, the kingdom is being torn from his hands. Now he's going to be allowed to hold on to it for the sake of David till he dies. But you got to know that kings always wanted their kingdom to continue on in their own family. And this is a heavy blow to know that it's going to be ripped from him. Finally, it says there in verse, verse 37. So I will take you and you shall reign over all your heart's desires and you shall be king over Israel. Then it shall be if you heed all that I command you and walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commands as my servant David, then I will be with you and I will build you an enduring house as I have built David and will give Israel to you. Every king that becomes the king of Israel, and, and I would say the same is true for us. God says, if you will obey me, I will bless you. If you will follow my commandments, I will bless you. If you will be faithful to the calling of place upon your life, I will bless you for a lifetime. I will bless all of Israel if you will but obey me. What do you think Jeroboam's going to do? Disobey. He's going to be worse than Solomon. He watches what happens to Solomon and we're going to see his idolatry surpasses Solomon's. How thick are these people? You read the Bible like, really? You just want to hit him? In it? But, it did, you know, hello, are you awake? Anybody paying attention? But isn't that our own life sometimes? Can I get an amen to that? Where we do something outside of God's will, the consequences are heavy, and then we do it again. Lord, help us, amen? It's so much better to obey Obey me and I will bless you. You know, God is looking for a king that will obey. For the eyes of the Lord search to and fro, seeking you know, one on, in the whole earth he can show himself strong on account of one whose heart is loyal to him. God's not looking for gifted people, rich people, smart people. He's looking for loyal people. He's looking for people to say, Lord, I'm here. Use me. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Eyes of the Lord. He's looking for men and women. He'll just say, okay, God, I want you to use me. That's the person, that's the man or a woman God will use. May we heed both God's promises and his warnings. When we're obedient, again, God is glorified and we get blessed, but the way of the transgressor is hard. Then it says this, and I will afflict the descendants of David because of this, but not forever. So David's line's going to be afflicted, but again, not forever. And again, we know because there's the fulfillment that through the line of David, Jesus will come. Now notice what happened. Somebody told, somebody went to Solomon and the first time he's going to try to get into a fight, he's going to try to kill the guy that God says is taking his place. Somehow a high just somebody told him and notice in verse 40, Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt. Boy, this seems to be the place where everybody hides. And Shishak king of Egypt and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. Solomon gets word that Jeroboam will be taking his throne. You know what that should have done? It should have driven it to, him, it to his knees to repent. Can I get an amen to that? When he heard, the kingdom has been ripped from you, Solomon. You're an idolater. You're a man who's all about wealth. You're an adulterer. You're a fornicator. You're, look at your life. 
Could Solomon have repented? What's the answer? Could have gone on his knees and said, God, you know what? Forgive me. What do you think God would have done? Forgiven him. Guys, it's not too late. Now watch. I love this last portion here. I titled the, the, the outlines here, verse 40 to 43. When we define spiritual maturity as how much of God's word we know instead of how much of God's word we obey. Look at verse 41. Now the rest of the Acts of Solomon and all he did and his wisdom... Are they not written in the book of the Acts of Solomon? That's not part of scripture. God chose not to include it in scripture because we know enough about Solomon from what is in scripture. It says in that period that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem um, over all Israel was 40 years. Then Solomon rested with his fathers, was buried in the city of David, his father, and Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. Now, here's the thing. The wisest man who ever lived, one of the biggest failures in all of human history, because he did not apply godly wisdom to his own life. He lived to please his flesh. He worshiped false gods. He faced righteous judgment. The Bible says, again, take heed lest ye fall. Solomon dies. He's only in his 50s. His life was cut short because of his disobedience. He knew God's voice, he built the temple. He wrote many of the Proverbs, the Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes, and yet he was driven by his flesh and miserably failed. So what does that tell us? Solomon knew the word, but he wasn't obeying it. Can I get an amen? Solomon wrote huge portions of the Bible and didn't obey it. And so what does that tell us? What it tells us is spiritual maturity is not defined by how much of the Bible you know, but how much of the Bible you obey? Can I get an amen to that? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. And again, too often I think we can become arrogant. I know the Bible forward, backward, and sideways. That's a great thing. Are you living it? Are you obeying it? Do you turn to the word of God when you need direction and wisdom? When the word of God, like a mirror, reveals sin in your life, do you repent of it and walk away from it? Or do you make excuses for it? like King Solomon. So in closing, take heed lest ye fall. Warning signs that we're heading for a fall. When we allow fleshly desires to take precedence over God's word and his commands. When we cease to fear God, provoke God to anger through our rebellion. When the Lord brings righteous judgment upon us because of our behavior. When, when judgments come and you know it's time to repent. When our lives are more defined by compromise and obedience, when the Lord removes his blessing and calling upon our lives, and we would define spiritual maturity as how much of God's word we know instead of how much of God's word we obey. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you do not hide the frailties of your heroes. We thank you, Lord, for the examples and the lessons we can learn from Solomon's life. Lord, I pray there's anybody here tonight or anybody watching on live stream now, hearing this on the radio later, uh, watching on Facebook later. Lord, if we've got areas of our life where we're walking in open disobedience to your word, may we repent. Lord, if we're living in lives of compromise, if we've put other things before you, Lord, help us, drive us to our knees, bring us to a place of restoration with you. Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy we thank you that you are a loving God, a gracious God, and a merciful God. But Lord, may we not use your grace as an excuse to sin. We know grace isn't freedom to sin, it's freedom from sin. And we thank you for that, Lord. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said.